Hi, this is Meredith SK, and welcome to the third episode of Carpe Diem. Alexa, you look so startled. I, I'm I'm just expi- excited and surprised. Exprised? I don't know. You never thought uh, we'd get this th- far? That we made it this far. Yeah, no. Uh, I'm Alexei Othen and Gerard. Uh, Joining us uh, is our now permanent guest, or now permanent co-host, rather, uh, Chris Hockabout. <laughs> Thank um, you, Alexei. Who's joined the, who's joined the team. So. Thank you. Happy to be here. <sighs> so are we. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was saying I'm just so happy because uh, Chris is just a delight to edit and if i'm it's the middle of the day you know i take my little 15 minute break at work and i sorry guys at work uh and i start doing some audio editing i realize that they listen to this podcast and so now i'm like oh right oops um (laughs) but uh chris has by far the fewest ums plosives s's this is a podcast about learning how to become a dungeon master Mm -hmm. also about meredith learning how to Mm -hmm. do audio editing Uh, but yes, this is Carpe Diem. Uh, this is a podcast about learning how to become a dungeon master, where I am learning how to DM, uh, and Chris and Alexei are teaching me. And later we'll be joined by Colin Ferrion, who is a veteran of many games, RPGs, and LARPs, and one of the organizers of Big Bad Con, which is a local RPG conference, which is super fun, uh, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. Yep. Amazing con. Hi, everyone. Hey. Oh, yeah. And we'll have a monster of the week, which right. is the Otiug. Today's monster Super is the weird. Otiug. Personal uh, favorite of mine. So, yeah, if you love trash and you love monsters, there's now a monster made of trash. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. Uh, last week, we left off with uh, my homework being a couple of things, um, because my fun things also give me homework, apparently, as <laughs> We skipped ahead from part one, chapter one, all the way to part two, chapter three. Yep. Kind of weird. They don't renew the chapters in between the parts. That's okay. <laughs> um, which is all about um, creating adventures, which seems mm-hmm. like, well, that's the whole thing. Point. But it's it's a lot about, um, it, maybe a better way to say it would be creating a storyline in which other people interact. So it's like a lot of tables and things, but also... Yeah. How to choose structures. I would yeah, structure I think is is the best word to use here. So the for for people following along at home who are like, why not chapter two? We did skip chapter two because it's creating the multiverse, which is kind of like it's an important part of D&D, but it definitely pulls the camera way out uh in a way that I don't think we need to do quite yet. Uh we might actually come back around to it sort of towards the end of looking through the DMG because there's stuff in there that I think is worth talking about. But chapter 3 is much more about giving you sort of some structures and some ideas about how you actually organize uh a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And the way that they're talking about it here is organize it in terms of adventures, which are then sort of broken down into encounters. Um, And this gives you some overarching ideas about why are the heroes going on this adventure and what are the stakes and where are they going and what will they do when they get there? Right. So if I'm understanding correctly, it's kind of the the creating multiverse is, is creating a multiverse seems like not all adventures you're going to need to know everything about, uh, you know, the creation of the universe and it's because i think it also involves creating gods like and the planes like planner magic and planner travel mm-hmm. and planner inhabitants is something that is a a big part of 
the kind of like flavor of Dungeons and Dragons, but is not, I would say, a necessary part of that. Flavor. No, I mean, it's a thought exercise. It could be fun if you're, hey, I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to create my world and, okay, Big Bang, let's see what we got and just right. kind of go from there. But no, not, not, not necessary, I, really. If, if I, you want to get at the meat of what, you, what you're adventuring. Is right. Gonna, it's if you're if you have a yen for metaphysics and you're really excited about like what are the what are the the magical underpinnings of my world then yeah definitely chapter 2 is important and again depending on how your how the adventure that we create together goes how that world goes mm-hmm. we might need to go back and start thinking about like oh well what what is going on in sort of the larger planner yeah. picture but so so is it uh would chapter 2 then be something I mean, chapter two, meaning this whole creating the multiverse. Is that something that you would mainly use if you're doing a longer campaign versus a shorter one? Or I think it really it's it's just basically around your your level of interest. It's mm-hmm. it's ultimately again these are resources for you to help frame your ideas and in, in a way and um, and give you some structure to go from and. And also what you're doing with a lot of these things is it's helping you build up your vocabulary so you can kind of have a well of ideas to kind of dip into when you need to. Okay. Actually, so on that that note, in general, the cosmology of a Dungeons & Dragons game works like this. Most of the players spend most of their time on what's called a prime material plane. That's like an earth or Mm -hmm. a world. Mm -hmm. Um, Physics works there the way that it works uh, pretty much on our world. Magic probably exists and it has wacky physics, but like, you know, you you travel a certain number of leagues and at the end of that travel, you're at that whatever place you would have gotten to. Right. There are other there's this idea that there are other planes, other like planner, other places that you could go. Right. Um, like elemental planes that are all made of like fire or water or ice or whatever. Uh, and there are then even sort of weirder planes, heavens and hells, et cetera. Oh, I've got kind of a, I mean, effectively kind of a stereotypical adventure, lots of forests, kind of uncharted. Right. You, you know. don't, you don't necessarily, we don't need to like go herring off into what is the planner structure of this world mm-hmm. until we figured out what is this world. Mm-hmm. So, okay. But unless, you know, unless you got some really strong right. idea in your head about right. uh, setting a game on the element of plane of fire go hog wild yeah, yeah go crazy you that's know. great I really found with this is that it was, it's interesting in this chapter basically the first page is mm-hmm. is describing things and then it launches straight into tables which kind of at first you know i was like oh my god so many tables <laughs> but then i realized that uh it actually for this particular type of thing works really well for me because it's almost like a writing prompt mm-hmm. so for the first that's a great way to look at it i, I think know. that's yeah, so, a really so i have kind of a, a a thought for this episode which i think alexei was kind of sharing this thought was that mm-hmm kind of go through the first little bit, literally just a first page, and then maybe I could roll some yeah. things for my, my adventure. And um, maybe I'll use them, maybe I won't. I was thinking for ones, maybe roll three and see which one I like the best. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so the first few sections are uh, the elements of a great adventure. And a lot of this seems to me that's also just about writing kind of a, a story outline. Um, they're talking about creating a threat um, using tropes and, and then adding a twist to them somehow. Um, 
And then they say something about a clear focus on the present. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if you guys have any... It's a little amorphous what they're saying here. I, um, I actually had like I had like really complicated feelings on that because I am the person who, when I sit down to like make a D and D adventure, I will write five thousand years of history first. <laughs> um, but um, I I think I could actually stand to really learn from this. This idea of like a clear focus on the present. What they're saying is, you want your players to feel like the event in the moment is important, and one problem that can happen with RPGs is when DMs get really fall really in love with their world building, it can get easy to be like, oh, well, I have all this history and I have all this stuff that's going Mm -hmm. on and you, the players, don't know anything about it. So you're sort of making moves in the dark, right? Right. Like everything that you do somehow is reflecting on or continuing from this like long world history that maybe I'm expecting you to know or like I know that you don't know but in either case you don't know it so everything that you do is kind of like I can sit behind my screen and be like hee 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 they don't know what that means Mm -hmm. and ultimately that can be fun for you the DM and a little bit of that is okay but so is it mostly good for when you those big elements from the history um, are going to come into play at some point or is it sort of better or, or do, you, do you mainly use it for to influence how your decisions in the story going forward? Um, the way that I tend to build my worlds is the history informs when I have to make kind of like improvisational decisions about mm. what's happening in the world. If I have a good sense of the history, it helps me to be like, what happens here? Oh, well, okay – 500 years ago, this whole region had a terrible, like, drought and a lot of people died. So that might inform, that might remind me that, like, you know, when when I'm asking, like, oh, what is this village elder going to do? In my head, I can be like, uh, they're still kind of in that mindset, even though it's been 500 years. So they're, like, really resource conscious. So he's just going to, like, hold all of his resources tight, right? I, that's a, a scenario where I could imagine that coming into play. I think also... uh uh when I think of uh, the idea of keeping the players sort of like rooted in the moment, you know, touching on the idea of, of you knowing your world, but in your players, you can't, you can't express them like something that to you as the world builder is important. You can't give them like these heady concepts of like this important thing is going to happen and expect the players to suddenly to go. Yeah. Okay. That sounds that sounds important. You right. Know? Yeah. So you have to kind of like build their interest in the world. Well, you know, yeah. focus on you know focus on what's happening in the immediate area around them. You know. Okay. It's, right. Ultimately, it should be about them. Telling telling your players like the blue rose will be taken to the keep at midnight. Like if your players don't know what either of those things are and they don't know what that means, eh, they're going to be like, okay, well, I have yeah, other but, things to do. Yeah, you know, as opposed to you know, and they're in the last hours of this tavern as it closes, and this woman in a cloak comes stumbling in just as they're told, oh, sorry, it's closing, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you know, two guys, two very threatening guys, come in bursting after her, and you know, suddenly there's in the moment. I think they actually say that somewhere in here. I was trying to find the exact place, but it was like, make it all about the players, make it important. Yeah. At that, I mean, they, that's actually the next sort of heroes who matter. Mm-hmm. Oh man, this, if, if a single, a, a single paragraph, a single paragraph could, could better sum up mm-hmm. what good GMing is about. It's like, you have to make your players important. Well, so yeah, well, they're, they're, 
that you always take into account the idea of that uh, they're uniquely positioned to act. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, in case you don't have the DMG right in front of you, dear listener, um, what this paragraph sa- is saying uh, is that in what you're writing, the thing that you're writing might look like a novel or TV episode, but what uh, what you really uh, what you need to do is make it um, focus on what the players are actually doing and not just uh, do whatever you want. And I think this is the first time they bring up the term railroading in uh-huh. the book right. so far. So, um, but what what they're saying here, and you guys I'm sure have much to say on this at length, uh, but uh, is if you just do whatever you want, let's say you might write a big story and you're like, well, these characters are doing something, but I really want to do something else. That's right. what railroading is. Quick, let's see how quickly we can do a definition. Well, I'm just kidding. You yeah. can take as long as you want. In a, in a way, the better, the more you can you can build player investment, the more you can make the players feel like you know what they're doing is important, or what what's going on, uh, or what is it at risk is important to them. Uh, however, you're able to achieve that when you put those things at risk, they'll ask you for the solution. They'll want to know what can I do mm-hmm. about this. And, and that's the way you can, you know, that's a handy way to guide them towards the solutions that you have sort of, you know, already sort of built up in your head. But railroading specifically refers to games where the player's actions and their decisions don't matter. Okay. So a game where no matter what you do, you know, you will always be outnumbered and outgunned at this fight and there's no way to win it. And like, no matter how clever you are or how many other things you bring to bear or how many other ideas you have, your GM has just decided you're not going to win this fight. There's okay. no way mm-hmm. for you to win this fight. And because the GM has this idea of like, oh, well, then I want the players to be captured. I want them to be imprisoned. If you want the players to be in prison, you have to kind of find a way to make that believable for the players or you have to mm-hmm. find a way to like motivate them okay. to get there. Because otherwise they're going to be like, oh, well, then we ran into these dudes. And even though it's the town guard and we're all, you know, super powerful adventurers, they still somehow subdued us and dragged us to prison. And. You know, issues of agency are important, and yep. sometimes you might even want to communicate ahead of time to the players mm-hmm. that there will be a moment where their agency is taken from them. I, I ran a game once where um, the players had been been taken captive by by slavers, mm-hmm. and I started them on the slave ship role playing. You know, after they've already been captured, and mm-hmm. then I ran the combat of how it happened as a flashback. Nice, um, nice. So. Uh, it feels like it's kind of one of the worst things you can do. Like, oh, come, everyone, come play this game that you're going to be right. a special part of. Just right. kidding. Just kidding. Do what I want. Uh-huh. Don't go down that alleyway. You know, I, yeah. uh, I would say that in in terms of like sins that a GM can commit at the gaming table, railroading is up there. Yeah. It's it's supremely frustrating and demoralizing to realize that you thought that you were playing a game where you were like had agency and were a part of the world and to Mm. realize that actually you're just someone else's like cardboard cutout that they're kind of like moving across the scene just to foreground especially it's especially bad when the gm has fallen in love with their npcs Mm. and like suddenly the players fade into the background and the npcs become important and they're having like important conversations and the players are like oh well i guess the story wasn't about us after all right like we we, we'll, we'll just go um 
So, uh, write a one book. <laughs> there's a <laughs> write a book. So there's, so there's kind of those several long sections in this that go over um, adventure types. Right. Um, I'm thinking let's briefly go over each, like very briefly mm-hmm. go over each, and then um, I think mine is going to be kind of location based. Okay. Because uh, turtle. Touching on the turtle. Yeah, so I'm going to touch the turtle. Okay, so the location types that they give us in the book. Mm-hmm. Are, or adventure types that they give us in the book are location-based. So adventures that have to do with sort of like moving through an area, um, which could be wilderness, it could be a dungeon, it could be a city, it could be a the sky, it could be, you know, underwater, it could be really anything. Mm-hmm. Event-based, which is kind of like uh, something happens and the players respond to it. I or, think Yeah, I think mine might be kind of a mix of wilderness sure. and event. Mm. The breakdown that they have for for event based is really good. Like it is a okay. good step by step checklist of how to make that event based experience actually fun, rather than just being like something happens. What do you do? Mm-hmm. And then it all got really whiffy and mm-hmm. long, and nothing happened for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the next type that they have is mysteries, um, which is also mysteries, I think, are one of the h- absolute hardest things to run well um, mm-hmm. as a role playing game. Like yeah. any system. Right. I cannot count the number of times that I've been like, I'm going to run this incredible locked room mystery <laughs> and my players are going to have to figure out all of this stuff. And either my players approach it and they're like, this is an insoluble puzzle. Let's leave. Or my players approach it and they're like, I wave my hand and fix the issue. Let's leave. Yeah, so. or, or my my I have the same worries about this as like actually doing like a treasure hunt or um, what's that? What's the other thing? Uh, scavenger scavenger hunt. hunt. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I have this like huge pit of fear in my stomach of going to do those things and not being able to do them well and then mm-hmm. just feeling like a big dummy. Mm. That's I know it's weird because I love. I love doing puzzles on my own, but uh-huh. like any sort of, I don't have stage fright at all, but I have a ton of puzzle fright. Puzzle so, fright. Yeah, that's, I know. So one. in reverse, I think uh-huh. I have this, which is <laughs> like, I would make a puzzle and think, I'm so clever. They're, they're going to have just the right amount of trouble figuring mm-hmm. this out. And, and then, then they'll get there and be like, I know what it is. And I'll be like, don't. <laughs> <laughs> again, that's a real thing. Um, onwards. Uh, puzzles mysteries. are hard. Mysteries are hard. Yeah. Um, and then... I think that's... The last one is intrigue. Intrigue, Which okay. is like political maneuvering. Uh, also... That would be an amazing thing to do if you could. Like, that seems like it would be like kind of a glacial pace RPG. Yeah, it, that's, the, that's kind of the problem with it. Like intrigue, the best way that I've found to run intrigue is sort of to pair it with that event-based. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you know, there's a... There's a peace treaty that's being brokered and, you know, you have, you know, a week of negotiation and then the treaty is going to be signed. And like you have a series of events that are going to happen along the way and the players have to be conscious of, okay, well, we need to suborn this diplomat and we need to assassinate that guy and we need to like pay off that that dude and we need to like, you know, make sure that this lady gets crowned queen. Yeah, because, yeah, you you really need need a particular kind of player. To her players to carry a game based solely right. around intrigue. Do you think my turtley, my my turtle, um, what we got, mystery of Turtle Mountain, mystery of Turtle Mountain. Um, do you <laughs> think it's going to be more of an event, like 
if or is it more what was it wilderness location based location yeah so i mean it is a location but if right. the event is that the turtle has been a mountain forever and all of a sudden starts walking mm-hmm. and then they kind of have to figure out why that is uh-huh. i mean i don't know if that's what i'm gonna do yet but what sure. do you guys think if, if i'm gonna roll for things in uh-huh. this episode what do you what do you think i should do um uh well so the players are sort of on this 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 moving uh you know uh giant turtle right and uh sort of experiencing things as this turtle travels event based yeah seems seems to make sense you know you could even uh like uh have sort of an episodic feel to this as this creature is moving across the landscape right and um, each each sort yeah. of we 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 rejoin our heroes with their journey already in progress yeah. as they sort of move through the landscape and see things they've never seen before and then you know you can have um uh toss in a little bit of intrigue in there when you have sort of the machinations of the so the, the owner or for whatever. The, but for the first one. The first one. So I see kind of that they, you know, the players arrive. I see within the first like session of this campaign that sure. they arrive at this turtle and it starts moving and right. then they have to figure out. You know, right. like like they go to some little town that seems like it's like the base camp of some mountains um, and then it, you know, gets up and walks away or something. Uh-huh. So, uh Right now, what do you guys think? I think that that first, I think that first adventure, which culminates with the mm-hmm. event of right. the turtle gets up it's and an walks. Based adventure. I think I actually think that yes. first one is going to be location based. Oh, because it's okay. going to be about the players getting there, exploring that area, getting there, and finding the clues along the way mm-hmm. that lead them to this inn. So I can kind of change these. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, besides the next section, which basically just says. Uh, adventure structure beginning middle and end which I, right. which has some very important information of, but yep. let's kind of like move past it I think mm-hmm. is that you think you're beginning sure. middle yeah. and end um, although like the one sentence in here that I thought was like I didn't underline because I feel like weird about writing in my DMG I don't know why post-its um, post-it notes <laughs> oh post-it notes um, I'll have them shaped like kitties uh, totally. it says starts with a hook to get right. the players interested and right. like I would have underlined that like four times um, so the first table it has uh, is identifying the party goals, um, and it's like dungeon goals, wilderness goals, other goals. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like a weird thing to have first, because then later on they have um, adventure in a dr- introduction. So, so again, this is a much more structured way to mm-hmm. think about building your campaign mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. I usually do as a GM, although... Having now having investigated this book, I I can see where this stuff would be really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but coming up with what is the party's goal as they approach Turtle Mountain, the goal is such an important part of the okay. game mm-hmm. because it helps you, the GM, know how to motivate your players. Mm-hmm. Right? It it lets you know again. Many games that I've run where I've been like, okay, then the players will want to go here. Okay. And then I, you know, I build the whole game. So I have big signs pointing at like location A Mm. and all of my players are sitting around. They're like, location B sounds really nice. And then location L Mm. and they just go. And I'm like, oh, well, that wasn't the direction that I expected. So how do we make sure that they get to the turtle? Oh, shit. (laughs) Um, For love or money. For love or money. Um, I would imagine, let's see, uh... I mean, I could just start them off with like you're all arriving, you meet each other on this foothill or whatever. But isn't we? I mean, there's uh, there's adventure introduction rolling table. 
Sure. But I don't, maybe that's not the best way. Because some of them are like mysterious, like a stranger approaches the characters in a tavern and urges them towards the adventure location. Although that actually does work pretty well. There's other let's, ones that wouldn't work at all. Here, let's do this. Roll? Let's, let's go roll? ahead. I'm yeah. really excited about let's rolling. Let's go Super ahead. Let's rolling. go ahead and roll up some random, like just again, should as sort of a. dungeon goals just to see? Let's, should we, should we call it dungeon goals or wilderness goals? Uh. Let's do wilderness goals. Okay. So that's a D20. Yep. Right here. So um, I would like to say that also uh, our wonderful uh, guest, Colin Varian, <laughs> has brought this enormous... Uh, uh, gigantic... I, mean, I have seen bigger D20, but I don't think I've held denser D20. <laughs> yeah, no. So I'm going to roll it for the inaugural D20 roll of this entire of show. Of this whole podcast, I'm going to yeah. roll this huge D20, and you're going to hear quite a large thunk. Uh so, what am I doing? Wilderness goals. Wilderness goals. Um, Let's go. Two. two. It was a two. Assess the scope of a natural or unnatural disaster. That's pretty great. Okay, so yeah. I'm going to write that down. Um, a- actually, that makes total sense. Exactly. Yeah. The stirrings of, uh, the, the, turtle. Stirrings of turtle Mountain, right? Yes. Okay, so what... So what is the natural or unnatural disaster that the players need to assess the... Okay, so maybe there's something up on... Okay, so I was seeing the turtle as being sort of foothill to a larger mountain Mm -hmm. area. Uh So let's say that they are going to the tavern that's on this little foothill because there's been some sort of natural disaster. Well, What kind of natural disaster would happen if a turtle was starting to move and the turtle was the size of a mountain? Avalanche. Yeah, or earthquake. Okay, yeah, 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 okay. Um, so in, they're investigating an, an earthquake in or around this hill. Yes. Yeah. And they th- if they think it's on the mountain. Right. But it's not. It's the turtle. Right. Because mm-hmm. I don't yeah. want there to be something like, oh, it's on the mountain. Oh, wait, we're on the turtle. What happened to that thing on the mountain? Right. Right. Okay. I like this. Holy shit. These tables make it so good. They definitely. I mean, that was a, a, a particularly apt role. Yeah. There, there are some that would be. It was the die. The die held all the, you know, the mojo. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> trust the dice. The die knows. Yeah. I once went into a game and I was just sort of sitting there, you know, like it was the right at the very, very beginning uh-huh. of the evening. And I just sort of reached over and I just, you know, there's a bunch of die on the table and I rolled it and it was a 20. And they're like, no. <laughs> you wasted that twenty. That's because yeah, I have this idea in my head that actually, uh, with every die, there's the string of numbers in the order that they will be. So like, <laughs> if I picked up that die, I could roll it over here. I could roll over there. I could roll over there. But it would always roll whatever that number would be. Yeah, there is uh, no way. Ma- so much no magical like, thinking in my there life. There is no way to test this theory. I really <laughs> no like way. die shaming. Not, not living in only one universe. Yeah. Uh, I like die shaming a lot. It's, um, yes, you can you can put the twenty in the in the box with the cat, and yeah. it, you'll know someday. All right, so what? Okay, so the next one, I've got my earthquake, mm-hmm. um, and the next one, well, oh, that's other goals. So I was only right. of these so three we, things. So I just we have one. your. So your party has a set uh, has a goal. Mm-hmm. So that gives us a lot of information, right? right. We know that the party is going to be assessing the the scope of a natural disaster, an earthquake, or an avalanche. But but that means that they have to be assessing it from somewhere or for someone. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So so we're now presupposing that there is some kind of town off of the mountain where these, you know, they've seen signs of this earthquake or signs of this avalanche. And like the players have been tasked like, hey, you guys need to go up into the foothills and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there is an earthquake or maybe there have been several earthquakes. So the next section is identify important npcs 
Yep. So these are going to be the people who are going to surround the players. And, you know, they could be one person or several people. The first chart that they have here is who is the adventure villain? Okay. Um, so I think this is a really important question for this world at this moment. You're right, because it doesn't really have much. It's just we, like, la dee da we're going to get on the turtle. On the turtle. And, and we the go, turtle we go is, walk around, yeah. and Meredith's going to draw lots of different types of machinery that help you get on and off the turtle. <laughs> <laughs> you you are really, like, you are really um, passionately curious about how people get on and off the turtle. And, and I, load I commend, goods and services. I commend I mean, that you know, specificity. Obviously, there's going to be, like, ropes for, uh, for the black market and, like, official steps. I mean, there's got to be, like, really good stuff for like when there's dignitaries is this turtle going to become its own nation oh my gosh okay i mean maybe i mean it must sure. it's kind of like the vatican only it's a turtle <laughs> well you know <laughs> it I, it's like besides besides the tavern like um mm. what else is on that what other structures yeah. are there uh well i drew it actually and i oh. have it in my sketchbook at work because i drew it during a meeting um which is okay the girl next to me was drawing like many poop emojis in her book at the it'll same be on the website yeah it'll be on the website oh yeah right. check yeah. Uh, dmcast.net DM for this sketch. Net, yeah. uh or facebook uh or tumblr, tumblr or reddit we really just have the most yeah, of them. um so i see there being but. the tavern and several other um sort of neglected buildings when the characters get on mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, and then as time goes maybe uh they get built up so i see that i see there's like um building some sort of structure on the turtle's head as sort of a lookout mm-hmm. with oh, like yeah. some like rope bridge going to the shell or some sort of zip line or something well yeah i mean um, you, you could have like yeah, that's you know, super cool that's yeah. that's their first little area to explore mm-hmm. like you know if the, the tavern is one relatively small part mm-hmm. of it and you can think also yeah. maybe maybe a landslide exposed some some tunnels, mm. or... right? Yeah, there because yeah, there's absolutely something... like tunnels that go into the turtles. Yeah, right. shell. the shell, the shell must be like which hundreds is, of feet thick. Yeah. Which which gets into some like creepy body horror stuff when you're like, yeah. you know, I like I'm excited to do this spelunking. Oh no, organs. Well, well no. maybe I kind of want to like run it like as something where the outer layers of kind of like flake off. Well, uh-huh. maybe not because then like the thing would come off. Anyways, okay, something. There's a, a mysterious civilization created it. So this is the thing. I think the one right now. I need a villain. I need we a have villain. A, we have an awesome setting, and we're starting to build a really cool world for that. Okay. That but I need adventure a story. setting. But yeah, who's okay. who's the antagonist? Right. So should I roll? Oh, how about this? I'll roll three times. Good. And we can sort of pick between them. So, I like it. Okay. Um, I'm also going to roll the smaller dice now because yes. I'm slightly worried about whacking something so diff- so hard it'll. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Okay. Sixteen. Wait. So 16. Let's get all three. Okay. Sweet sixteen. 19. 19. When's the first 20 going to be? Okay. Uh, we need to do something special when there's the first it, 20. It, it will, 50 Five. 50 chance it Five. will be within the first 20 rolls. Um, um, so is it 16, 19, 5? Yeah. All right. So 16 is humanoid criminal mastermind. It's pretty vague. True. And I, I have a hard time seeing what. A criminal mastermind, like how what crime enterprise would be furthered by a giant walking turtle? Like yeah. it's yeah. hard to be like. Um, so, uh, Nineteen is humanoid under, under a, a curse. curse. So I like this because it's humanoid, uh, sure, not necessarily yeah. a, a human. human, right? Uh, though still kind of maybe difficult to tie to. Well, it, again, it's it sort of depends on like why that turtle is there and where it comes from. Mm. Someone might be under some kind of curse 
from long ago mm-hmm. that's like you have to stop the turtle like the bad person is trying to stop the turtle and the players are trying to to go but maybe that humanoid under that curse is a friend of theirs like someone that they know okay who's who's sort of been taken over the oh, cur- okay. curses are interesting things and you can kind of craft a, you know, found, a lot around it and i found a maybe uh, this creature maybe this you know humanoid is bound to the to the giant turtle in some way yeah i i found um oh yeah yeah, like maybe in one of these caverns in the thick shell or something, there's something yeah. that maybe is both under a curse and somehow keeping the turtle asleep with a curse, you know, like bound with a mm-hmm. curse, right? Like, so it's like a sort of like... When uh, the turtle woke up, something else woke up with it. Yeah, or the thing that was keeping the turtle asleep was something that was like, they it was sort of like a... I curse the turtle and I curse myself and now we sleep forever sort of uh, thing. Yeah, sure. Um, so number five is sort of more interesting, but also maybe more difficult is giant bent on plunder. Yeah. yeah. Just a just a greedy giant. Yeah. yeah. Just a big dude who wants all the stuff. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of trying to twist that in my mind like, oh, the turtle is the giant and he's bent on plunder. But I don't mm. think he's got I don't think the turtle thinks in that sort of like short. Sure. Uh, you know. I don't think the turtle is that capitalistic. I think the humanoid or the curse just humanoid yeah. of to the a lot three. of interesting things. Yeah, humanoid or the curse definitely. Because okay. also with a with a character with a with an antagonist who's cursed, that opens a, opens a possibility for some an actual you know a sympathetic villain. Right. Yeah. Exactly. If they're driven to do something because they're oh, cursed. Okay. Yeah. So maybe I'm kind of thinking that maybe this is going to be the barkeep at this pub somehow either that or some like hidden figure i mean maybe we should roll other things and then come back we can yeah yeah here's the one piece of advice i'll give you tell me you don't want to hide your villain for too long okay you can keep your villain hidden for a little while but stories thrive on conflict and if you keep your villain if your villain is sort of this like you know mysterious figure that the players don't know anything about for a while, that can be really exciting. Mm-hmm. But after a while, you don't – you need, like, at least some face to put on that villain mm-hmm. so that your players can have someone to, like, rail against, you How know? do you – what's a good way to have your characters find out about the villain uh, without them immediately wanting to go after – like, if you want to have it to be, like, oh, there's some evil force mm-hmm. – but you don't want to hand it over immediately. You want to sort of figure out where to find this thing. Like if it's just like, oh, there, Joe in the castle. He's the vampire, <laughs> right? And yeah. he's eating us. He yeah. took my little Sally, right? Day, you know, like, but like, please stop, vampire Joe. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's uh, that's gonna be campaign two. Yeah. <laughs> it's comedy, comedy central. D&D, which I would totally watch. Oh, God. Uh, it's, we're really like, I think we're like two years out. I mean, I really it. like, it's just, we're just waiting for one of the Let's Play games to we get, We should exploit like, our, our possibly happen. eventually dozens of listeners to start Comedy <laughs> Central. Um, if you're hearing this in the future. Yeah. Comedy Central recruiters. I hope things are okay. But I hope you guys to, are but okay. But back to your question. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, question was how to how to how do you introduce the villain without wanting to make the players without just, just putting on a plate and like being like yeah without wanting to like i feel like there's like a, a lot of ways where you could just say here's the villain or like they see the villain and they just immediately go after him and that's it oh well you know um 
um, you know, the best villains most times are far more powerful than the players are, and direct confrontations are often, a, uh, you know, not the best option. Mm-hmm. Often, you know, it's 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 a trope of fantasy, but it's a useful one when, you know, the first taste of that villain is a painful one. And um, not only does it build animus in the players and give them motivation to want to go after this villain, it also teaches them that maybe they aren't quite ready to kind of face this person straight on. And that maybe they need to know more about this person. And um, I mean, you're a level one, you know, like awesome fighter Amazon warrior. And yeah. you go up against, you know, uh, uh, Joe the vampire whose eyes crackle with, you know, eldritch darkness. Mm-hmm. And he's just like lightning bolting you from 50 feet away. Well, you know, keep in mind the scale of, of, sure. of your game. You know, if you're saying if the, the villain is the owner of the tavern or something, then um, uh, I don't know. Let's see. Well, Basically, uh, your villain could be mysterious inaccessible or too powerful to confront directly. Okay. So the next role, and and let's get through uh, a couple of them at once, because then I think I can flesh out the story a little bit for next time and look at these prompts. Uh Um, Because there's only a few left for under this type of adventure, which is adventure allies, adventure Mm -hmm. patrons, adventure introduction, and the adventure climax. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I kind of want to roll these and have them as a sort of uh, a template. And I'll put that sure. this template on the website's plural mm-hmm. uh, also in case people want to like look at it. Um, so, Alexei, yep. I need a d12. Uh, here you go. Why, thank you, Alexei. It's this awesome dodecahedron. What'd I get, Chris? I get Seven. Seven. All right, Alexei, what is it? A revenge seeker. Huh. Is your adventure ally. Huh. Um, oh. Should I do the three and choose the best one again? Sure. Okay. That's a good idea. Uh, a celestial ally. Ooh, That's pretty good. Pretty good. And five is a priest. I kind of like, I mean, celestial ally is certainly, although a priest, uh, ooh, Turtle priest. <laughs> Turtle priest is pretty great. Yeah. Um, you know. Like maybe there's a crazy priest living in an old chapel on the turtle. And then when the turtle awakens, he's like, I knew it. And he's like fucking nuts. But he has to go on the adventure with these people. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I'm going to go with uh, priest. Turtle priest. I, I mean, again, like we've, we've already said that this is- turtle <laughs> is like. A thousand years ago, it sort of like planted itself here. Yeah. It makes sense that, you know, there would be a religion, a small religion yeah. that was like developed around it. Now, a thousand years later, it's when mostly we were talking dead. About the but... cursed humanoid, I had in my head a Chelonian human, you know, kind of like <laughs> oh, turtle human. A turtle guy. Um, okay, hey. so adventure patrons. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, that's the person who is presumably going to be paying the the adventurers out at the end. Oh, okay. Sort of like, like who's footing the bill for this awesome adventure? All right, so 14. 14. Yep. Here. All right, and three mm-hmm. and eight. eight. So 14 is Mysterious Fae, which okay. starts to... The Fae are like fairy creatures. Yeah, yeah. That feels like it's starting to muddy the waters a little bit. Yeah. Uh, three is Local Ruler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't just like dip your toe into the fae. <laughs> yeah, it's like... It, now there's a turtle and a turtle priest and a fae. Yeah. Fair, well, okay. like, Wait, the fae involved? This is our show now. <laughs> yeah, eight, they are there. Eight is temple official, 
Which sound, which kind of matches Priest a little bit. So one of the ways that this could work out is when you think about the town that the adventurers are coming from, mm-hmm. maybe it's a theocracy where the local ruler and the temple priest are the same person, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know... Or maybe it's a temple that's like temples in the world of Dungeons and Dragons do a lot of kind of like hospital duties. They do a lot of healing work. Okay. So if they're like, oh, oh. There, what if there are people who are trapped on the mountain yeah. and hurt? Go, you know, go find them and bring them back. Yeah. Okay. And speaking of villains, though, you know, I try to avoid games where the solution to any problem is find that one alpha person and murder him and murder him and yeah. Yeah. problems go away yeah you know they you know the villain usually is someone who has you know has cross purposes to you there's some larger issue involved mm-hmm. and the solution to that is much more nuanced and difficult and requires a lot of investigation and mm-hmm. adventure yeah. and exploration and this person is either trying to stop you or stymie you or is or is, in, is in competition with you or or um you know and so think Think of the villain as the symptom of the larger problem. Yeah. And, you know, the the villain is also a good driver. It can crack yeah. the whip, keep the players moving, um, keep them from getting too too comfortable. All right. So now we find the adventure introduction. Well, um, we'll flesh out the location oh, right, details. Right. But I think that I'm... We've, I think we've yeah, done a lot of that. Yeah, pretty good. And then find the ideal introduction, which is, you know, I think that with the, an introduction, I'm going to roll for these, but I think I might... I, I wouldn't be surprised if I wound up being pretty loosey goosey with them, you know. Like, yeah, absolutely. Being, I mean, as with all of these, because it's my story, I can do right. whatever I want. Yep, <laughs> that's how it goes. This is Dungeons and Dragons. This is Dungeons and I don't know why I'm whispering. It's your Dungeons and Dragons. All right, D twelve. Most importantly, D twelve. I give go. you the right die this time. Three, three, five, twelve. It's like a it's like a crit for a D twelve. Um, so while number three is while traveling on a road, the characters are attacked by monsters that flee into the nearby adventure location. And no, it doesn't really work. Five, a mysterious magic item or cruel villain teleports the characters to the adventure location. Oof. That's, that's, that is, that is, yeah. Although 12 is not that much better. It's a ghost appears and terrorizes a village. Research reveals that it could be put to rest only by entering the adventure location. Again, we're muddying those waters. Yeah, yeah. That that now we have like a ghost and a priest and a giant turtle. So I'm just going to look through this uh, thing. And then um, if, since neither, none of those roles fit, uh, let's see. A town or village needs volunteers to go to the adventure location is pretty it's pretty general. Is, yeah. But but in this case it's mm-hmm. sort of like it it gives a lot of it it makes our story make a lot of sense, right? There's a there's a town, mm-hmm. there's an earthquake, the players are sent out to investigate. If I'm doing a kind of a zero to hero kind of mm-hmm. campaign structure mm-hmm. like you have in Dungeons and Dragons, um you know, I tend to like to ease players into the world and and give them a milk run, not not just not because it's something easy to do, but just so I can, I can introduce them, the NPCs of that world. I can mm-hmm. kind of sell them on the personalities and play. I can, can give them something fun to do and, and, and relatively easy that just kind of gives them a flavor. And then when, you know, after, after they've, they've deliver, made that delivery up to the tavern, to bring them their latest casks of ale, and they've had that cool encounter with the tavern owner, and that tavern owner is a cool person mm-hmm. who gives them free shit to eat, and yeah. like bids them on their way. And, and then know, there's and a like, weird turtle priest who's out there being like, "Well, no." And then you get back to town, and then this earthquake happens, and you're like, "Oh shit!" 
Right. Our buddy. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, there you go. And when they go, yeah, we need volunteers to go check out what, check out. Right. Then suddenly the players, the players, players like, yeah, have a we'll stake. do it. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. a great, that's a, see. So now we're. Uh, the work of a master. So I've been now asked to consider the ideal climax, which I'll, you know, just sort of let that sit there <laughs> oh, for a second. I didn't know this was We're not getting that. We're not getting the it explicit is rating. definitely not that kind of podcast. <laughs> I know. No. Um, all right. Alexei, D12 again. Yep. Um, all right, so that is. Oh, really quickly before we get off of adventure introduction, 11. I would just like to I would just like to note that number six is a stranger approaches the characters in a tavern and urges urges them towards the adventure location. Yeah, and just like for pure sort of nostalgia's sake, thank you for leaving that on that. Note. <laughs> yeah. just thank you for for making that like one entry in the chart. It's not a good one, but it is there. Yeah, Aragorn. it is. It's literally <laughs> just go there. Yeah. <laughs> And there's Go. so many of those. There's like, a, yeah, oh God, it is a trope. It's in the books. trope. Okay. It's the trope. Yeah, okay. So, um, okay, so I got an 11 and then I got, this is rolling for the climax. Yep. Uh, I got another 11, so I'll do it again. Yep. Uh, a 10 and Dang, those random number generators. Five. five. So one night the characters all dream about entering. Wait, no, that's the introduction. Hold on. Uh, 11. Under climax, uh, the mm-hmm. adventurers must choose whether to pursue the fleeing main villain or save an NPC because they care about the group of innocents. That's pretty good. Yeah. What was the second one? Uh, Ten? Yep. A threat more powerful than the adventurers appears destroys the main villain and then turns its attention on the characters. That's kind of cool. <laughs> it's it's cool. It can feel like a real um, like Do bait and X. switch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Deus Ex Machina. When you're like, yes, we're so close. We finally tracked our prey to the ground. And like, you know, if we kill this dude, all of our problems will. Oh, somebody. What? Oh, never mind. Mm-hmm. And number five is. A little perplexing. The villain and two or three lieutenants perform separate rites in a large room. The adventurers must disrupt all the rites at the same time. Weird. So, I mean, if if you're running a game where there's a lot of, like, the villains are trying to complete a secret evil ritual, then that's... Yeah. It, what, what that climax is actually... I, I The reason that I like this table is that it asks you to think about the climax of your story as something more than... There is a big fight, Mm -hmm. which is a big problem with Dungeons Mm -hmm. and Dragons. The way that it's set up, it's really tempting to have the end of every story, the last story beat of every story be, and then there's a big fight against a boss monster. Uh And each of these has some way to like change that in that expectation where either you're like oh do we kill the boss or do we save the villagers or you know do we how do we have to split the party to fight the three dudes at the same time which is still a big fight but at least it's a different type of big fight yeah Mm -hmm. um you know or so why don't i do that and i can move around the rights thing which is um you know i just just something like that where it's not a big fight sure necessarily that you know like well let's uh, let's actually. I'll put five question mark. Yeah, but you know it'd be kind of neat. You know, maybe uh, you know maybe the the turtle priest is is performing a ritual to take control of it, mm. and mm. and defeating him is one thing, but the players then get the opportunity themselves to complete the ritual so that maybe they can actually they, kind of they end up in control of the turtle. Yeah, um, is the turtle going to be your player's Pokemon? Oh my god. 
That's is this giant the turtle their Pokemon, or it's like a way to communicate with it? Yeah, and then it becomes a character. Oh, let's yeah. let's tie this off with a bow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you feel inspired to come yes. up with? I adventures? feel inspired to come up with adventures. Actually, kind of more importantly, I feel like a little bit more empowered to come up exactly. with adventures. Exactly. Also, important. Uh, you know, touching on something I mentioned earlier, a lot of this stuff is you know you don't want to get into the habit of like I'm gonna just I'm gonna ad hoc just like roll dice randomly. Ad hoc about. This, yeah. <laughs> you did. Um, <coughs> we did. Um, you know, oh this, God, is a, did. this is a great <laughs> way. It's a great way to to build up your vocabulary. Yeah, you just read through them and just get inspired by them. You know, yeah. kind of like we did now. It's just like just okay, reading one okay. line is kind of like no, you're you just right. Sort yeah. riff on ideas. I mean, the rolling is fun, but definitely like reading them and you yeah. Know, all the the last thing you want to do is actually be looking at that chart while your players are are looking at you and you're going. Uh, a dark stranger approaches you and it tells you to go to right. the adventure right. location. Yeah. What's important in a world is color. And what is more colorful than monsters? That's right. It's time for the Monster of the Week. Monster of the Week! What's that thing? Let's have a peek. Monster of the Week. Part, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I couldn't tell you why necessarily. It, I just the monsters is. are the coolest. I mean, for all of us who started playing Dungeons and Dragons in high school or junior high, like the most time was spent reading the monsters manual obsessively. Yeah. I think I can say this like categorically. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who started playing D&D and didn't spend time just like, I, I mean, just like going page, page after page after page. Because I had all sorts of like, so you good. know, like weird cheap sci-fi books of mm-hmm. I mean which were wonderful but you yeah. know of like different aliens and different worlds or whatever and like really what I wanted was a yeah. monster manual I, I, I'm definitely as a gift I'm definitely going to get you a, a paper <gasps> monster manual because it's so good I and, mean, and I'm you know I might me like like I'm sure a lot of people like the monster manual was sort of the first D&D book they saw because they would see it at a bookstore and if you're a little like fantasy nerd geek like <laughs> I was I picked it up and I was like ooh what's this and they'd see all the numbers and go oh this is for older kids and you know because I was Really, really young, mm-hmm. and um, um, but yeah, oh man, monster mail. How, how do I spell the thing again? Otiug, O T Y, Otiug, U G H. This week's monster is the Otiug, O T Y U G H. Strange-looking creatures with a bloated, oval-shaped body around eight feet, two point four meters wide that stood on three shuffling elephantine legs and had a disgusting rock-like hide. They had, I wonder why this is all in past tense. I mean, they're not all gone. Um, they had a pair of long tentacles that were bedecked, bedecked in rough thorny growths and ended in leaf-shaped pads bearing rows of more sharp spikes. Mm-hmm. A third tentacle sprouted from the top of the Otiag's body, forming a vine-like stalk standing some two feet high and ended in a pair of eyes and an olfactory organ. The body of the creature contained a massive fang-filled mouth shaped like a crude gash in its center. A typical Otiag was around five to 500 pounds. There's no rhyme or reason to this creature. Yeah, no, definitely there, it's not. Just, it's just an... And it has alignment neutral. Yeah. So basically, what I see with this creature is, one, it'll fuck you up. Um, oh, that's the first... F word as the first fuck word and of the of the podcast of, of this episode. Well, is there fuck words in other podcasts? I feel like there have been. Yeah, we probably dropped some f bombs. <laughs> um, and so I'm looking at this creature, and it's, uh, I mean, is it ever used for something that's not just it gonna it's gonna ruin your day? <laughs> the Otiug is a trash monster. 
literally like it lives in garbage mm-hmm. so it's a it's sort of a for for people who watched the trash compactor sequence in star wars and was like that seems like a good idea i want to make other people go through that <laughs> the otog is the monster oh, right. okay okay and and uh it's you know uh exploring sewers mm-hmm. beneath some fantasy city you know, is not an uncommon thing for adventurers to be found doing. And in the early levels of a Dungeons and Dragons game, the Otiug is sort of like a perfect, like early level boss monster to yeah. sort of throw at him. Okay. It's disgusting and it's big. Maybe this is where the trash for the turtle goes. Really bad. Yeah. It smells Eat terrible. Shit. Mm. Just like imagine yeah. those those tentacles just like shoveling pounds and pounds of refuse into that big maw. It says despite its appearance and habits, an Otiug was somewhat intelligent and capable of speech in common. Yes. Uh, Abla yeah. is common. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, because that's the other nice thing about trash monsters is you can talk to them and they are sentient. Huh. So, yeah, if you're making a trash game, this is an awesome trash awesome. monster. All right. Uh, uh, I like them because they're, they are, uh, like Chris said, they're great, like low level boss monsters for, you know, groups of like first to third level players they tend to show up in environments that are really variegated Mm -hmm. like there's trash so there's all kinds of like you know players can improvise a bunch of stuff like cobble stuff together out of trash to fight the monster get away from it stuff like that i don't know i think there's a nice there's some nice potential for creativity there yeah i i always liked them because you know at, at, at heart they're 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 very simple creatures with mm-hmm. very simple needs. They just love to eat, and they love to eat garbage, garbage and shit. Yeah. And they would actually prefer to eat garbage than player characters, honestly. Right. And because some of them can be intelligent and they can speak, you know, they can be in essence bought off by being offered opportunities for 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 feeding. And you think um, this trash heap is delicious. I have a trash heap for you, my yeah. friend. Let me tell you. And so they can become in a way, uh, you know, a disgusting, but kind of potentially sort of funny gatekeeper mm-hmm. to players traveling through the, the sewers of a city. So maybe the, uh, the Otiag can be, I kind of like him. I kind of like him. I could see him like picking up the turtle refuge. Refuse. There could, there could be actually a, like a little colony of mobile Otiugs like mm. following the turtle behind. Well, God, you know, that's, the that's thing that's with Otiugs is weird. I really like uh, it. So I ran a game where uh, the players were uh, exploring underneath, or they were coming up through a cavern system underneath a, uh, an abandoned dwarven city. Mm-hmm. So the first part they come into contact with is the sewer system of right. this ancient dwarven city, which lies underneath it, mm. and. You know, the very orderly dwarven sewer system. Mm-hmm. And in one of these catchment tanks, basic area, um, there was an Otiug. Why? Because it's it, it eats trash. It processes huge amounts of trash. And so it's a trash compared to, you know, it's a it's part the dwarves created. the You know, they seeded their sewer systems, the Otiugs, to act in a way as, you know, refuse collectors. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, and we kind of like uh, consume the excess. And this this Otiug had been there for th- hundreds of years, and when the players found it, and they had to get past it, and they snuck up onto it, and it was sort of in this pit, and 
and they all coordinated. They're like, okay, you do your attacks, and and they launched their surprise attack on this thing, and they inflicted in one round a hellacious amount of damage, and the players are like terrified of this thing the way I described mm-hmm. it to them, mm-hmm. and when it was their turn, I said, okay, the Oteg, it's the Oteg's turn, and the Oteg goes, stop, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the and players are like, oh. Shit. shit and they go sorry, oh dude sorry sorry and he's like stop no hurt we, and they you know it became this guy and you they were you know yeah. quasi sentient yeah. sorry our bad <laughs> um spend some healing on you chris would you like to roll the wheel of monsters sure what our next monster is going to be your monster is the ancient silver dragon. Ooh. Ooh. Silver dragon. That's a good one. Wow. Ancient silver dragon. Awesome. So next week we'll talk about the ancient silver dragon. Or probably just silver dragons in Silver general. dragons. Um, and uh, and then some that have like just ancient senses of morality or something. They're just like very like old school and they're just like. Yeah. They're just, they're just not they're tolerant retro. of like half elves and you no, know yeah. just like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very conservative dragon. And welcome to our guest this week, Colin Farian. Uh, Colin is a longtime runner of especially LARPs, I believe, uh, as well as RPGs, and is one of the organizers of a local RPG convention called Big Bad Con. Welcome, Colin. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you work with Big Bad Con and your... I know you do a lot of LARPing, so just tell us about that. So I'll give you a little history of my gaming background. So I started gaming when I was like 12. Uh, I think I got top secret and uh, I GM that for some of my friends because I was kind of the only one interested in doing what is, the GM. What is top secret? Top secret is basically a uh, game also by TSR um, mm-hmm. that is basically mm-hmm. um, James Bond spy stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I did that, and we also, uh, my one friend did have D&D, and he ran some of that, and then I went on and did, like, Champions, which is a superhero game, and all these other games, mm-hmm. and then played up and through college, um, and at once I graduated, I kind of stopped playing games for a while, and then whiles, whiles later, my one friend was like, hey, you know, you should come to Big Bad Con. It's pretty great. I'm like, okay, sure, you know, I'll come for a day. And I started looking over their list of games. I'm like, what are all these games? There's, like, so many interesting games that have just kind of blossomed over the past decade. Um, uh, It's been a big resurgence in just, like, people creating games from small games to bigger games. Um, And uh, the current fifth ed of D&D actually has been influenced by a lot of that um, mm-hmm. as that has gone forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to Big Bad and I ended up being there the entire weekend and just loving aspects of it. And then like went back the next year and, and you know, GM myself and played a bunch. And then since then now I'm helping organize it from like kind of marketing perspective and like some doing website stuff. And cause di- I love, I, I love the work that big bad con does. Can you describe sort of like what happens there? Like what the convention format is? So big bad con prides itself a lot on uh, being welcoming to everybody um, from like all creeds, colors, sexualities, whatnot, mm-hmm. and people that are novices to games. So it's one of the, the core aspects of the game. If you are jamming a game, you must know that someone will step into your game never having played your game mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And you have to introduce it and how the game works. And, you know, and then also play a story that 
they have fun with. So it, there's a certain level of interesting challenge there, but it's it makes it really welcoming to the hobby for a lot of people, uh, which I love. Uh, and the game convention prides itself on like numerous game systems. So you'll look at the sheet and there's like tons of different types of games and a lot of new games. And there also will include some D&D games and some older school games. It's a solid mixture. And they do both LARPs and they do um, uh, they do kind of primarily a lot of tabletop, but they'll do some LARPs and there's some board game stuff mm-hmm. and whatnot. Uh, so I, man, I, I got to go to Big, Bo- Big Bad Con last year and Something that I thought was really fun about it, which I wasn't expecting, is that so it takes place in this hotel, and they rent out a bunch of hotel rooms, and then, however they manage to do it, the beds are removed and replaced with tables mm-hmm. to play. And so, what I didn't quite get, and I will totally do it this year, is that you can then stay at the hotel in like a room that you rent with a bed in it, and then go to these other rooms where games are playing basically twenty. 20- Four hours, right? No, no, t- not twenty-four. I mean, they first game start at like, uh, like eight or nine, mm-hmm. and then the last games end around midnight. Oh, okay. Um, and, but there, but there's like black market games, right? They go. Oh on. yeah, yeah. People, people do their own things. <laughs> yeah, it's actually that's the. It's interesting you bring that up. Uh, it's one of the kind of unique aspects of Big Bad Con. A lot of cons will have like a big open room mm-hmm. and maybe some like, you know, screens between the tables. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Big Bad Con has individual rooms for each game Mm -hmm. which is really nice because uh, well it's nice for people with me who have some hearing issues but it's also really Mm -hmm. nice to like it's just you and the players there's no background noise yeah and you can do some interesting things like you can actually bring music and play background music for your game you could do really interesting setups because you have that space that you control as the gm so so what would you say is the um like What's the benefit or appeal of going to a big convention like this? Um, well, it's definitely like getting to like conventions are great because you get to become experienced with like with big bad kind of you can become experienced with different styles of games. Mm-hmm. You also get experience of different t- styles of game mastering. Mm-hmm. So one of the things right. that we kind of talked off uh, off podcast was that one of the best ways to learn how to to DM or game or you know game master is to play more games mm-hmm. and to see what other game masters do. More, and more meaning, more types of uh, systems. Or all of the above. Both, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, and because definitely, if you want to play, if you want to run D and D, play a lot of D and D. But it's also good to like branch out and mm-hmm. and experiment some other things because they might sculpt the yeah. way you do it mm-hmm. and also just watch the game masters because some of them will do some amazing stuff like oh i love how he describes that i love mm-hmm. how he mm-hmm. or i should say they uh so i love how they describe that and how they mm-hmm. do various things and how and or i hate how they did that they totally right, railroaded yeah. Yeah. oh that's what railroading means i'm yeah. never doing that again <laughs> you know yeah. it really it's a great way to mm-hmm. to learn uh What's um, did you have any like particular experience this last year that is uh, like notable that might give people a good impression of what kind of what the flavor of attitudes um, and play there is? Uh, anecdotal or otherwise? I guess see. it's all anecdotal. I ran uh, a few games there. I ran um, uh, a game called so. There's a game called The Warren, which is basically Watership Down, the mm. role playing game. You played rabbits. 
they die. Mm. It's not a happy game. Mm. Um, I played a version, uh, so uh, kind of what we talked about world building. One of the interesting things of the Warren is there are different, like, kind of worlds. And one could be, like, the city park. One could be this, like, uh, uh, this countryside near a village mm-hmm. uh i created my own specific one which was called apocalypse warren where you're basically bunnies and mad wax apocalypse <laughs> nice. trying not to get run over by cars nice um in like you know australian desert and stuff mm-hmm. like that so i ran that and that was like really interesting because you know i set this kind of world out but definitely the you know like and then to see what story happened mm-hmm. between myself and the players mm-hmm. um we did another Myself and Jason Morningstar and and a couple other people um, um, di- ran a multiplayer game. So this is definitely an interesting game that you can only kind of do at cons. So we did what's kind of called a wide con where you basically have like multiple tables playing the same game. Mm-hmm. So Pathfinder Society does this kind of stuff where they'll have like multiple tables in the room and there's like one giant kind of adventure happening. This was uh, a game of the Warren where there was like a single island, but different like clans Mm. and warrens of bunnies Mm. at four different tables with four different players. And we had four GMs. And then we had certain things that would kind of overlap and pull aspects of stories from some of the tables to other ones. But it was all just like that was a four hour game that felt like an eight hour game as a GM. It was in tense yeah. because it's just like you're just like doing this and then trading a, like shooting like a message to another GM at another table mm-hmm. that this is happening and mm-hmm. it's just like really kind of fast and furious and amazing mm-hmm. um, like and that's kind of a thing you could really only do at a con mm-hmm. uh, to have 16 players and 4 yeah. GMs like just go yeah. and do mm-hmm. a thing wow that's uh, that's awesome we have to go Alexei <gasps> yeah, no, travel episode go. yeah. yeah we could do yeah we could do a um, that would be kind of amazing. That would be super like, fun. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, we'd love yeah. to have you there. Oh, we'll have to figure out a good way to do that. I also kind of want to go to, uh, uh, what's that one that I want to go to? Gen Con? Gen Con, yeah. yeah. But that's that's a big, giant thing. That's like, I yeah, went, that's I went thing. to that once in 95. Whoa. So it was big then. It's way bigger it's, now. Yeah, it's huge now. Yeah. Um, I liked it um, better when I was in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where I it was. That's where I was at. Yeah. Colin, do you have feedback on? So Colin has been very patiently like listening to us record this podcast. It's this been whole actually time, interesting so. to watch you guys work. I, I'm super and curious to hear your feedback. It's pretty on easy work. <laughs> the stuff that we've been talking about. I do. I've been putting notes down. Yeah. Um, Look at so, that. Um, I'm going to introduce a few things, uh, like really fast, from my own style of gaming. So mm-hmm. I have done some. D&D, I haven't done a whole lot. Uh, interestingly, you mentioned the Monster Manual. Mm-hmm. I played very little D&D. I read the Monster Manual back to front. Everybody does. Um, <laughs> Everybody does. So, that one's so bad. Uh, but I also drew a lot of Monsters of the Child. So it, that was like, I loved that aspect, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. That aspect of the game. Um, what a lot that I run these days, it's what's called, uh, uh, like, there's a certain kind of style of play called play to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot less, you kind of go in with a little bit less prep. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort a lot of like sandboxy kind of, it's kind of like, um, so how I prep for games usually is I will have almost like index cards of ideas. 
Mm-hmm. And I will have index cards of ideas of like, oh, this could be a really interesting character. Mm-hmm. This could be an interesting thing that happens. This could be an interesting location or a thing that they find. And just kind of like have that out and willing to just like grab one and just throw ones away that I'm not using at any point in time. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of go. I don't tend to have a larger story. And, I just have and characters the, and ideas. What's the kind of appeal of this for you? Um, uh, very little prep. And, and it also, I really like it because you just kind of sit down at the table and like at the end of like your, you know, session, mm-hmm. you're like, whoa, we just created this story together. And I had no idea mm-hmm. who, what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like I had some ideas of things that might happen, okay. but I had no idea of the story that would tra- traverse. So is it kind of like the exquisite corpse of the D and D world? Kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you can still really actually so that's what I was saying about like experimenting with other game systems. Uh, there's a game system called Dungeon World, which basically takes yeah. that mentality and does, but with the D and D like layer. Yeah. Um, and there's things that you can learn from that and still do D and D. And D and D, when I was reading that section, um, it kind of still talks a lot about of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain elements that you pull from that. There's these things called agendas and principles in a lot of the apocalypse world style games. Mm-hmm. And some of those agendas and principles are things like uh, uh, be a fan of the characters mm-hmm. um, and describe <laughs> the world um, uh things like make the like name every npc mm-hmm. make them feel alive mm-hmm. so and those are certain things that i would definitely uh just like and those are really simple concepts that are really great to like put into D. so like things for instance with your particular setting um that first person that they talk to that sends them on their quest to go check out what happened with that earthquake. Mm-hmm. What's their personal relationship to them? Okay. Like make sure that mm-hmm. that gotcha. person is a real person that they don't go, okay, I got my gig. I'm out that way. Mm-hmm. And they don't care to report back. They yeah. don't, they don't really then like make sure that town has meaning to them. And yeah. that person has meaning to them. Yeah. Okay. The other thing is that city. So that turtle city, um, you can definitely think about that turtle city almost as a living entity and like, okay, there's people on the city. What are the benefits of living on a turtle city? What is the flaws of living on a turtle city? Mm-hmm. Like, do they have farming on the turtle city or do they have to trade for all their goods? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the day-to-day life in that tavern? What is the, um, what, what kind of, what would be a different, what would be different about a ta- tavern on a turtle city? Mm-hmm. You know? What kind of religion do they have on the turtle just city? Turtle juice, like that turtle juices. You know, it's like weird. there's lots of like things you can do to really <laughs> make all those elements of that city become more than just like a thing on paper that they're like, okay, yeah, no, we're on a turtle city. This is kind of cool. Like, no, like yeah. make it alive. That like, and um, another idea that I thought of, like, so the villain that you're thinking, whatever, what integral part in the turtle city that does the villain play yeah so if you kill off the villain how does that fuck up the city That's a good yeah. Point, yeah and the people like not just like why they, they're not just evil they're doing right. something right yeah. they they live they're a living person <laughs> um or thing or whatever and so they interact with that city in some way and if they're suddenly gone how does that affect everything mm-hmm. uh it's kind of a lot of important things there to really make it feel alive and add color and mm-hmm. yeah i think that 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 you know, the things that Colin is bringing up about, you know, 
tie every element of your game world to the players. Mm-hmm. Like make sure that there's an emotional investment there. Yeah. You know, immediately because if you if you can build that, then your players care about things, they remember things, they like draw on that to like make the game richer. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't, then it's like, yes, this is the town that I grew up in for, you know, uh twenty five years and, you know, everyone that I love is here and up oh, the turtle squished it. Let's go. You know, and that stops being mm-hmm. like there's an emotional core where you want your players to care about the world and to care about what's happening in it. And I think all of the questions that Colin is asking are like really top notch. Like, and you don't have to happen. think of those things immediately. Those sure. things can yeah. be like me built through those social aspects. I mean, really like can be built through the game. Um, but you know, there's certain things that you, you should think of, of yeah. like at some point, like, you know, how does the, the, that social network or connections that, that right. villain plays. Um, we're actually, I think, at the point in your world building where you need to start, you need to start thinking about players. And yeah. you need to start thinking about characters. Uh, like who I'm going to get to be players? Who are you going to get to play? And, you know, how are those characters? What are those? What role are those characters going to have in the world? I'm really torn because I want to play with people who I know, you know, like I think will be excited about it. But I also want those people to listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a really, it's a, it's a catch 22. No, no, um, Colin, to... I do want to ask you one more thing. Uh, sure. Um, so uh, I know you did something which I thought, which I don't know much about, but I think is sounds really interesting, which is that you did a surprise LARP for your wedding. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you, is it? Can you tell us? Yeah, that's a good story. That? Um, so uh, my partner uh, Tessa Aquarium and I um, both uh, have an interest in LARPs and games and things like that. I definitely do a lot more tabletop role playing than she does, but, um, she's done stuff and she also helps at big bad con. Um, and, uh, so we decided to get married. Um, uh, but we didn't want to make a big to do out of it. Um, uh, we did not want to make it, Oh, we're getting married. Everyone has to come, blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, and, so what we decided was to, she had an idea actually was to have a party and then have people show up and say, Hey, it's actually a wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, it somehow the idea, I don't know whose idea it was. Those things were brainstormings and ideas mm-hmm. just happen, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, well, let's actually make it a surprise LARP wedding. And so what we did was everyone thought they were coming to a holiday party we had in December. We said, bring a, uh, a small, you know, white elephant gift thing for exchange gift exchange it can't be more than twenty dollars and something you should make yourself and blah 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 and come and like you know we'll be announcing like we're doing this kind of new holiday we'll explain the holiday at such a (laughs) time so you should really have to come here by then Mm -hmm. and so they show up and then like it's the time and like okay everybody be quiet you're not allowed to say a word until i tell you the rules of what we're doing Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be passing out cards you can look at the cards. You can look at your neighbor's cards. You're not allowed to say a word until I'm done. Mm-hmm. And so I, so I asked for an accurate head count because I had these cards and I had to get the right set of cards. Um, and I passed out all the cards. And the cards, they would then looked at them and they would say things like, parent of the groom, 
you know, um, <laughs> grandparent, grandparent of the, of, of the bride who happens to always carry his uh, iPad around and try to film everything in front of everybody's faces, you know, or the uh, the goth cousin or the uh, metalhead, so, uh, like, amazing. brother who doesn't really want to be there or the uh, the uh, bar, bar buddy of the, gro- of the groom who, like, happens to be doing a reading and, you know, God, or the, that's the, really fr- the friend of the family who wasn't really invited and... <laughs> Here's your character and some role-playing notes. Welcome to our wedding. Go. (laughs) On one card. And I was like, and basically the whole thing was, okay, these are your characters. And like you, who I've, uh, there's a couple people I Mm -hmm. pre-chose. One was the minister Mm -hmm. who we got, um, uh, we non-consensually ordained them in the Ministry of Life Church and (laughs) had the certificate um, because you could just sign them up online. And uh, I'm a deacon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, did that and had we gave them our whole like the whole marriage ceremony with uh, chunks out of it so mm-hmm. it was basically Mad Libs that they had to fill in <laughs> um, and then for reading material because some of them had it on the card must do a reading uh-huh. uh, we had just stacks of books we randomly th- had so we had like uh, Tom Robbins Skinny Legs and All uh-huh. we had Strunken White's Elements of Style <laughs> um, we had a number of really great books so um, like the, those were people's speeches or just like bits of yeah they did a reading from those books um, they had to pick one they had, I, oh, I when had, I think of this couple I always think of <laughs> Flip, 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 flip. Semicolon. Usage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, oh, so, amazing. Uh, and then, you know, someone we had pretty ahead of time as like the wedding organizer, like, you are the wedding organizer. There are ushers out there somewhere that are labeled ushers. Find them. <laughs> Take these chairs. Create a wedding. We'll be back. We're changing. We got to change your clothes. No. You know, there's food over there. Find the caterer. They have to deal with the food. <laughs> oh, and my iPod, my iPod is there. Find the DJ. They're in charge. You know? <laughs> so, oh my god. And uh, and then just and like and the rules of the game was you have to be in character as much as you can mm-hmm. uh, till we cut the cake. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and uh, the cake was made out of edible paper. Uh, everything, including the rings and the bouquets, were all out of origami paper because it had this idea of like Wait, the what kind is of fake edible paper. Uh, use paper that's yeah. like basically rice paper. But I mean, was there cake or was just solid paper? No, it was just solid paper. Well, it's like hollow, but it was created as a form of. Cake. Oh, I see. I thought it was just like layers, like it's like a. Phone no, it's just like a folded like <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, I love wedding cake, and so <laughs> like it, the wedding was weddings. amazing. You know, that's like so a friend cool. that was playing the ring bearer, like you know, was set set as like absent minded child. So it was like losing the rings all the time. And, <laughs> and, uh, and my friend who is the, who was the, uh, the bar buddy, like he came out to read, like, uh, he chose for his reading. He's, he's like acting kind of drunk. He's like, oh. chose for his reading skinny legs and all. It's like this, this part really reminds me of Tess and your, your love for her. And things starts to read and he goes Jezebel whore of Babylon <laughs> it was just like amazing oh <laughs> absolutely amazing so uh yeah uh it was it, it was really surreal um mm-hmm. to have a wedding that was also this weird like going around and like who's my parent oh you're my parent oh hi oh I have two dads oh that's great you know and and you know uh 
a lot of there's a number of people who actually it was surprised everybody there's like two people who kind of guessed but no one else knew it and like mm-hmm. a couple people like even like two weeks later was suddenly like oh wait that was a real wedding <laughs> so yeah it was great it was definitely memorable uh, in a surreal a, way that is i think one of i mean we were always talking about having um Battle stories, yeah, war, war stories. stories, war stories. Mm-hmm. But I think that is it's a that's equal, a, it's a that takes the cake. That, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice. yeah uh, there's on my website, um, which you look in the bio, which I guess is going to be on your mm-hmm. site. Uh, yeah. there's a link uh, on my website. There's a post about the wedding. You can actually see a, a video from the wedding on there too. That's amazing. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Uh-oh. So. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I, and oh, uh, so I took the cards and I created a lot more, slightly more generic version. So, uh, wedding the LARP cards, you can actually get them on drive through cards. Excellent. So you can do your own wedding, right? If you want. Uh, yeah, because I was going to say, like, that sounds great. First. I totally want to play that, but it seems awkward to be like, well, you run can, your wedding again. Well, you but. can play you, like things. I made it generic and I actually added some like extra, like, four different types of brides and uh-huh. four different, well, I, I just call them betrothed. So uh-huh. you can actually, right. so it's gender yeah. neutral. Yeah, yeah. Everything is generational. Game. So like four nice. types of betrothed and four types of betrothed B. Uh-huh. And so you can just kind of pick those. Someone is, and then like that gives you a character to right. play, to as, play the betrothed. As, as the betrothed. Yeah. That's pretty great. Um, uh, yeah. Maybe we should run Wedding the LARP. Yeah. That's really fun. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining yeah. us, Colin. What websites Really quick, I'm going to say. Okay, so um, uh, definitely check out uh, bigbadcon.com, kind of how it's spelled. Um, And we just did our Kickstarter. Uh, We'll be opening backer kits soon, which will you can get on that to get badges, but we'll also be selling badges on the on the site itself. And when is the con? And if you want to, oh, the con is the. 13th to the 15th of October, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, and putting it on the calendar and it, if you, we still have openings for GM slots. So if you have a game you want to run, oh my God, you me. should, we are very me. open to new GMs and stuff like that. So, um, okay. yeah, um, so no, yeah. that'll be a goal. I think I'll probably, um, uh, try to run something before then, but I think sure, that'd, yeah. make, that'd be a fun thing to do a, um, mini arc as it were for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. It's um, a, like it's a great place to run because we get like amazing GMs, amazing players. Like mm-hmm. every time I've gone to the table, it's like this people that are like, I couldn't have done this without you. You guys are amazing. Yeah, just, like, I bring, played some just sort of cat it. superhero thing that was really fun. So. Um, but I, I only could go for like four or five hours. So it was definitely yeah. not the full experience. Next time I'm getting a hotel room. The, the hotel and room. then my site where I have a number of my game ideas and stuff like that because I have a few other games that are, I have tons of games that are like in the works back here mm-hmm. but i have a few others that are a little bit more in the works um and or i've done some smaller games like the raver and the bear mm-hmm. um and that's on mirthpeddlers.com okay got it uh so. well thank you again for joining us um i i i, I loved all of this yeah um yeah it's fun <laughs> thanks for inviting me yeah um you can find us at dmcast.net mm-hmm. uh as well as on facebook and reddit uh that's Carpe Diem. Carpe Diem. And we'll be back in two weeks. I think, Alexei, uh, we need to say. Oh, yeah. What's the what's our next? Uh, so I think our next chapter is designing is NPCs. Chapter four. Designing uh, OK, NPCs. this is great because it's been the like example yeah. we've been using forever. All right. So next week we'll be doing designing NPCs, which is pages 89 to 96 in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, 
Our monster of the week next week will be the Silver, silver Dragon, dragon. Um, which Chris will be presenting. Yeah, brought to us by Chris. Yeah, I had a Silver Dragon in, uh, in a campaign. He became the villain. <laughs> um, Interesting. And love interest. <laughs> yeah, that's usually how it goes. Like, well, I became the love villain because of love, actually. Oh, well, there you go. As one tends to do. Um, thank you so much, and we'll see you in two weeks. In two weeks. Thanks a lot. Thank you.